Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. In this episode of the Virtual Time Machine, we're going to be talking about marine shipping cumulative effects. That's the cumulative effects of all our different activities on and in our oceans. And we're going to take a look at, I guess, a case study from Canada uh, in a project proposal process that that is currently underway uh, in light of a recent National Energy Board decision. Ultimately, we're looking at how can we uh, unlock economic prosperity by utilizing the natural resources that we have available to us while still caring for the earth that sustains us. And in order to do that, we're going to have to do a little bit of homework and be a little bit creative. Welcome to the Virtual Time Machine Podcast, Season 2, making time travel a reality so we can learn from the past and create the future. Here's your host, systems ecologist, Barry Wilson. Unlocking economic prosperity. That's something I think that everybody is after around the world. We know that uh, we need to take care of and foster the growth of our economies in order to be able to continue to provide for a growing human population across the planet. The challenge we have right now is that we're starting, the the earth and and our our space on it is starting to fill up. And we're realizing that we're, you know, we're in this epoch called the Anthropocene or Anthropocene, however you want to say it. Uh, which means that um, humans are having an unprecedented impact and effect on the Earth's systems. And it's not entirely clear that if we keep doing what we're doing, business as usual, that we'll be able to sustain that. It it appears, actually, that the opposite is very true. And if we don't change our ways very soon, uh, we're going to have some significant issues. So we're, we're trying to unlock economic prosperity and care for the earth that sustains us. That's actually my personal mission. Uh, That's the key uh, in the work that I do is continuing to move forward and be able to achieve that win-win into the future. It's not going to work to just have one or the other. We need to have both of these systems doing very well. Now, Right now, in many places around the world, but especially here where I live in Western Canada, in British Columbia, there's a lot of uncertainty and conflict over some major infrastructure projects associated with uh, different kinds of land use, one of which is the extraction of fossil fuels for export to uh, offshore markets like Asia. Um, In fact, we've had several pipelines that have been cancelled uh, one that is a, a pipeline expansion called the Trans Mountain 
pipeline expansion has been in process. I don't know, it's probably seven or eight years at least now. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of conflict and the project is has been struggling to get going because of it. Now, I'm not going to take sides on this particular issue, but I'm, I'm going to point out that there um, are certain economic uh, realities and obligations, I guess, we have to the country in order to, to continue to develop uh, Canada's natural resources uh, and uh, foster a, a strong, sustainable economy. At the same time, we are very, very cognizant of the fact that we need to do things better and that we need to be thinking about how we sustain the earth, uh, not just extract her resources for our own benefit. Now, the way past this conflict, in my opinion, is two steps. We have to collaborate. We can't continue on with this uh, partisan approach of, you know, I'm just going to keep pushing hard for my position or my belief, and I'm going to basically try to just wear you down if you're the other side we need to get out of that mindset and start thinking uh, about collaboration and working together understanding the concerns and benefits that are available on both sides and then finding those solutions we absolutely can do that and the second part the second key to that is to utilize a process of working together with innovative tools and technology like time machines and so let's step into the virtual time machine and check it out. So the case study that I want to look into or, or, or walk through with you in it really probably at a high level, and I'm going to give you some references if you really want to dig in on the details. There are tons of details. Uh, but we're going to stay kind of high level today. Um, but the case study that I'm going to talk about is the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Um, some people will know that or have heard it talked about as the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. Uh, Kinder Morgan uh, owned the existing, there's a small pipeline that moves bitumen resources from Alberta through uh, the Western Cordillera, through the Rocky Mountains, and uh, along the North Thompson River and then the Fraser River down to Vancouver and, and bitumen resources are exported then by oil tanker offshore to other markets like Asia. And the Trans Mountain expansion project would be I, something like a tripling of the capacity in a new line that goes along basically the same route. And that would enable uh, a significant increase in uh, heavy oil production from the Alberta oil sands to be moved to Tidewater in British Columbia and exported offshore. Now, the uh, there is there are processes for going about uh, major transportation infrastructure projects like this in Canada. This one falls under the auspices of the Canadian National Energy Board, and that process has been gone ongoing for a number of years, and so. Uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, the National Energy Board completed its review of the project. Uh, a comprehensive environmental impact assessment was undertaken, as well as an assessment of the potential economic benefits of that project. 
However, there were some significant shortfalls in that project. One was that the pipeline was just evaluated in, on the merits of its own footprint um, and not in consideration of the upstream uh, cumulative effects as well as the downstream cumulative effects of putting a pipeline in place. So, of course, the pipeline has a footprint and it, and it would be transporting a potentially hazardous material and those are uh, important considerations. But by having the pipeline also enables the industry to expand and then that product to, to be moved offshore. So um, last year there was a change in ownership of the pipeline and the Canadian government actually purchased the project in an effort to help move it forward as it was described as being um, an economic imperative really for, in, the, in the national interest of the country. But part of that process was to acknowledge that uh, two things hadn't been done particularly well and needed to be improved upon in, in that original assessment, even though there, it emerged with a recommendation to go ahead with 156 conditions, there were still some other things that were really important that needed to be done. One of them was to uh, undergo a better and more comprehensive and more effective and meaningful uh, consultation process with Indigenous people. And I'm not going to talk too deeply about that today. The second, though, it was to evaluate the implications for the marine shipping effects of bringing this expanded pipeline capacity to the coastline. And that is what I'm going to talk about uh, today. Right now, uh, there's a significant amount of conflict. It's basically divided uh, between sort of two camps, the environment versus the economy. We've seen this over and over and over again. Uh, that's a stalemate position. That's winners and losers. That's business as usual. And it's not the path forward. It's certainly not how we're going to unlock our economic prosperity if we're just trying to override um, other considerations and at the same time just locking down our resources and then not having an economy to support us is not an acceptable decision either so right now it it it's right on the edge of uh, being held up in uh, courts and and litigation activities um, there's significant conflict and protests and, and a lot of things going on there that's what business as usual has has put us in that situation and and what we really need to do is move to this more collaborative cooperative approach of finding the combination of strategies that allows us to move forward right to to access resources that we need to be able to sell them globally and um, sustain our economy but also to take care of our natural environment and make sure that we're doing that at the highest degree possible. Now, just a note, in, in there's a lot of components of this. So um, 
I just want to mention that the, the pipeline is itself, and, and we talked about that. I've talked about the upstream component, which is the extraction of oil from the Alberta oil sands, the movement of the bitumen through the pipeline, and then the export of it overseas to be used in some other fashion in another part of the world. That's sort of four different aspects of this project uh, that are worth looking at when you're thinking about cumulative effects. Linear features are amazing that way. Their footprint is really, really small, but they connect huge systems over enormous distances. So cannot cover all of that in one episode. It would be totally unrealistic. So uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the, the, the transportation, uh, the terrestrial component of the, the movement, the pipeline itself. And in the episode following that, we're going to talk about the upstream implications of that, which would be an expansion of oil sands extraction uh, in Alberta. And then the episode after that, we're going to talk about the end use of that product as it reaches shores uh, in Asia and beyond. So, but this week we're going to focus in on the marine transport component because I was just involved in a significant piece of work on that. And it's also very timely with a significant regulatory decision that just came out last week. As I mentioned, the uh, Canadian government uh, sent the National Energy Board back after its initial approval um, for the Trans Mountain expansion to reconsider the project and take into account project-related marine shipping uh, and the cumulative effects of that. So they had a deadline to complete that by February 22nd, 2019, and they've done that and reported. And they came back with 16 new recommendations that identify measures that fall within the federal government's jurisdiction, recognizing that the National Energy Board itself does not have the authority to regulate marine shipping, and that Trans Mountain, which is the corporation, the government-owned corporation that owns the proposed pipeline, may not have control over the implementation of the proposed measures. However, they came up with 16 recommendations. I'm not going to read them all. Um, you can just Google uh, Trans Mountain Expansion Project Approval Marine Recommendations and you'll get that. But I want to focus on the first two recommendations. Now, they don't say that these are you know, the most important first, but usually you put the most important for first, right? So the first recommendation was to develop a plan to assess the cumulative effects on the Salish Sea. The Salish Sea is the ocean area off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It includes the Burrard Inlet, um, Howe Sound, and the Strait of Juan de Fuca until uh, ships get beyond there and out into open ocean. Recommendation number one, develop a plan to assess the cumulative effects on the Salish Sea and a long-term strategy to manage these effects. Yeah, absolutely. We totally need that. And recommendation number two, release an annual public report of the progress of measures to address cumulative effects on the Salish Sea. This is gold because typically what happens right now is um, cumulative effects come up in an environmental impact assessment that is uh, a an assessment at the beginning of a project and then perhaps there are considerations in there uh, for monitoring uh, into the future or or potential mitigation but I've rarely seen uh, extensive monitoring actually undertaken 
This is a requirement that annually a public accounting of how well uh, the cumulative effects plan is working and, and the progress of those measures to mitigate in particular the negative consequences that might come from this expand marine use. Brilliant. Uh, I really, really like that. Now here's, here's a cool thing. Um, this is actually part, the, the government anticipated this along with a few other things uh, when they were elected um, in this new term. And so they actually created uh, the Canadian Oceans Protection Plan. And um, you can look that up. There's a lot of information available. Within that Oceans Protection Plan, one of the components is to develop a cumulative effects assessment framework for marine shipping. And if you follow along with me, you'll know that I was in Ottawa, Canada, which is our national capital last week, meeting with about 70 practitioners from across the country that were invited to come share the work that they're doing and help Transport Canada assess the different methodologies, tools, strategies that are available for practitioners, decision makers, and policy makers now uh, to manage cumulative effects in a marine setting. So I'm actually going to share some information from that workshop, which you're getting access to first here because you're a virtual time machine podcast listener, and this is not widely available. Uh, I do have permission to share this information from Transport Canada uh, because they know that I have a number of colleagues and interested folks who want to know about this stuff and they're also seeking a collaborative approach to developing this framework. So that's really cool. Okay, so four things we're going to cover in this podcast. One is the definition of cumulative effects. It's a pet peeve of mine. I think uh, if we don't have the right definition, we have this real probability, at, which I've seen over and over again, that we're answering the wrong question. And it's not, it's, it's not always helpful to answer the wrong question. So we'll, t we'll talk about the definition of cumulative effects. Uh, secondly, we're going to talk about what our some of the agents that are driving cumulative effects and, and therefore um, what should the definition be. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the Oceans Protection Plan for Canada. And there are four phases of this cumulative effects uh, framework project that, that have been put in place. And we'll talk about uh, what's been done, where we are and where we're going. And then lastly, we're going to talk about uh, sort of some of the findings that you'll find. If you look at a detailed review of the report, you'll be able to find this out for yourself. But we'll look at uh, a range of the methods uh, to assess cumulative effects for marine shipping uh, and their particular focus areas. Okay, so at the beginning of the report, they, they have um, some key terminology uh, and one of them is the uh, definition of cumulative effects. Now, the authors of the report are using a published uh, definition. So I totally understand that, respect that, and know why they're doing it. Um, 
I just don't happen to personally subscribe to uh, this definition because I think it's just it's a little bit short and inadequate. So the definition is that the cumul a cumulative effect or cumulative impact is a change in the environment. Okay, a change in the environment uh, that's caused by multiple interactions and and of human activities and natural processes that accumulate across space and time. The reality is, you know, yes, it's multiple human activities, it's natural disturbance, thank goodness that's finally made it into the definition. It's accumulating across space and time and we need to talk about what's meaningful space and time, but it's not just the environment. It's also the economy and it's also also people or culture. Okay? So the systems on the planet that we live within, those three are integrated. And as I've talked about before, if you just pluck one of the system, one of the pieces out, one of the components out, you will not fully understand how the system operates. And tweaking only one component doesn't mean that the others are going to improve if you're not thinking about those connections. So I really wish it would just... The definition would talk about uh, the changes in the environment, economy, and culture caused by multiple interactions in human activities and natural processes that accumulate across space and time. Nonetheless, that definition is better than other definitions which have been only focused on the negative impacts of a development that we are unable to mitigate. So that's the pain that we are unable to, you know, find some medicine for or mitigate and so that was even a worse decision or uh, definition so i like the fact that this does talk about um it's it's a change and it doesn't say whether it's positive or negative <clears throat> so i'm going to just share with you a list of positive and negative cumulative effects now in the report you will only find negative cumulative effects so even though that definition doesn't say only the negative, they're still sticking with that because that's been the process. And this is one of the things I think we're not really answering the, the, the right questions. We need to be looking at what are the benefits as well as the liabilities of our actions. Um, so uh, a list, I made a list here of a few different ones and I'm gonna refer to my notes. Um, so positive implications of increasing shipping in our oceans. Okay, so there's a lot of talk right now about the negative side effects of that. But of course, the reason we're doing it is because we get many, many benefits. So marine shipping is uh, increasing our global trading possibility. Um, and one of the really tremendous parts of this is that it's very, very cost effective. The amount of goods that we're able to move for the cost is really, really low compared to other systems. If we had to move everything through um, air freight, as an example, well, our, our global economy would be much, much smaller. We just wouldn't be able to afford it. So shipping, uh, right, you know, has opened up global trade in a significant way. Another thing that shipping does is shipping needs a big... One of the biggest components of shipping is containers, right? So, of course... I'm sort of t started out talking about moving heavy oil and we know that other commodities like salt and coal and grain and things like that are moved in big ballast ships.
But one of the biggest is container traffic, which is moving smaller goods, right? So containers move uh, quickly and efficiently across the ocean, but then they don't stop there. They have to go somewhere else. So I'll give you two examples of the terrestrial implications of marine shipping, thinking about containers. First of all, many of those containers get on to trailers and are pulled by semi-trailer trucks, right? And so then they're delivered uh, to the market wherever they're going and they need road infrastructure, they need um, fossil fuel driven vehicles, they need all of, the, all of that infrastructure. Um, in order to have all of that, that, that there's an, a sub-economy there to build all those vehicles, to build the roads and maintain them. Those are significant economic opportunities. They create lots of jobs and they generate lots of, of tax revenue for society. Um, another, maybe even more significant component is the rail aspect of container traffic. So in, in Canada, it's really interesting. Where I live in Salmon Arm, there's a major rail line that goes through here. And the trains are going through all the time back and forth with all these containers. Uh, the vast majority of those containers don't really spend any time on the ground in Canada. That's just goods moving between Asia and Europe. And Canada is a safe, a relatively uh, thrifty, uh, not too expensive uh, route to move those containers uh, between those two continents. It's a lot better, a lot safer, and takes less time than moving them through the Panama Canal. So what happens is, is let's say if, if the goods are coming from China and they land at the port in Vancouver, they get on a train and they ride all the way across Canada to Halifax and get on another boat and continue on to Europe. So again, there's a number of jobs and, and a, a very uh, vibrant and prosperous transportation economy there, all because of marine shipping, right? Uh, marine shipping improves uh, that, that infrastructure, like the, the improved highway infrastructure and rail uh, is beneficial for a lot of other people. So if I want to go hiking or folks are heading out into the backcountry to go sledding, as an example, they're using the same infrastructure that's been built to support the movement of goods associated with marine shipping. So there's a sort of a ricochet or a multiplier effect of benefits. Um, another aspect of uh, the shipbuilding economy is, or, or shipping economy is shipbuilding. Uh, that's again a tremendous economic component and uh, creates lots of high-paying jobs. Um, shipping and the, and the movement of goods uh, globally gives governments access to uh, tariffs and taxes which help fund public resources and ultimately you know from a very macro level on a global scale uh, being able to trade goods from different parts of the world rather freely allows us the efficient use of resources, which is labor and, and natural resources, capital, to be used appropriately and in, in, in the places that derives the most benefit. So there are many, many benefits from marine shipping. There are also liabilities. And so these are the ones that are articulated in the report. And here's some examples, marine vessel activities that bring about uh, stressors on what's known as valued components, the, the values that we care about, uh, which are being assessed for their cumulative effects. 
One is in waterworks operations like log booming, dredging, and disposal at sea of a number of different activities. So um, that brings, you know, that's that's things that brings around landscape changes for sure. So you think about forestry, um, it facilitates the the forest harvesting. The logs are moved into the water because it's cheap to move them on water than it is by truck. Um, then they get boomed into an area and the bark and all the tannins and everything fall off and there are negative consequences for the ecology in that area. Some other examples are anchoring the, the effects on uh, ocean floor habitat from anchoring. Anchors move, they get dragged, uh, damage happens when whenever we're anchoring. Um, grounding or wrecking when vehicles or vessels run ashore. Uh, there's two different kinds of uh, discharges of contaminants. One is would be operational discharge, where just you know through the the act the the flushing of water and that kind of movement uh, that comes with shipping, moving ballast water, that kind of thing, uh, can bring about uh, invasive species, pathogens, um, potential small oil spills, gray water contamination, things like that. Um, biotoxins can be emitted into the environment and then there are accidental discharges that could be you know um, made like uh, things like uh, a catastrophic uh, breakup of an oil tanker like we saw with Exxon Valdez as a good example so something like that another one that's interesting that that came to light that I learned about at the conference was the importance of derelict vessels so a lot of small vessels have been, uh, they're, they're derelict, I guess they're, they have no value, they sink, whatever, they're abandoned. They've got fuel on board and they're leaking that fuel in particular, but also could be some other contaminants into the water. And apparently there are so many of them that they actually, they are in aggregate uh, creating more of a risk than any individual spill from say a large tanker or a freighter. So that was an interesting thing I learned at the workshop, and you'll, you can read about that in, in uh, the report. Um, accidental discharge. Oh, I talked about that. Movement. So the um, potential for ships to strike uh, animals, as in, in like whales, as an example, or porpoises um, getting in, entangled or entrapped in uh, fishing nets. Uh, there's the wake and and wash effect of vessel traffic uh, that brings effects on shorelines and then of course uh, the actual harvesting activities and when we're thinking about um, ocean fishing or uh, shellfish fishing that kind of thing um, bringing down natural stocks of uh, fish and aquatic species so officials at Transport Canada have authorized me to share this draft report at this stage with my colleagues and people who are interested in collaborating and improving the process for a better cumulative effects management framework. So I'm able to make this available to you. I'm going to put a link uh, with the podcast vodcast that you can click on. You just have to put in your name and email and then you'll have direct access to that report. Um, it's it's quite large, so it's a, it's a bit of a download, but it's in a PDF format, and you can take that, use it. Um, and then if you have any comments, uh, suggestions, or ideas, you can respond directly to the author who's on the report, and their email address is there. 
Or if you feel more comfortable, you could send me uh, your comments uh, or questions, and I'd be happy to, to look at that if I can help, help you out, but also to pass them along to Transport Canada on your behalf. So if I keep on going, the podcast is going to be longer than I had hoped for. It would probably reach a full hour. And my hope was that in season two that I could keep the length of the podcast episodes down to about half an hour to make it easier for everybody who's listening. So uh, this ends part one of the Marine Shipping Cumulative Effects episode. Uh, Just follow along to the next episode for part two. Till then, please also do feel free to check out my searchable blog at my website at barryjwilson.com and listen to uh, previous podcasts or vodcasts. I've got them all listed there. There's a number of free items of information that you can download and access. Talk to you soon. I still need a start. I need like a uh, a starting point. So this is going to be my intro part. Where's my other notes? Okay, so I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to talk about this.